Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who are first and some are first who are last. I want to welcome you to our services this morning. I want you to think about what was just stated in the words of Jesus, particularly to those who were wondering why they would not be able to enter the kingdom of our God. Now, with that said, I want you to think about what was just said with that passage and this confusing title. Right? Pursuing last. Whoever wants to pursue last. And yet when we're looking at what's being said, we're living in an upside down world from a standpoint of living for Jesus. So when we're looking at these words, it's very important for us from a standpoint of knowing what we're talking about because our culture and everything about it screams first. Right? Everything is about being the best. And I'll have to readily admit I'm a little competitive. <laughs> I am nowhere near as competitive as I used to be. Just ask my bride. And some might say, well, I admit you still are. Well, I do want to be a world champion when it comes to jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and maybe this year I might. Won't be, not best loser or anything like that. But competitive aside, that's a culture, isn't it? We're in the middle of the playoffs for... Um, the NFL, we just had a national champion. In fact, when we, when we look at these things, it's, everything is competition. That's a whole part of our culture, it seems as though. And the thing is, when we're talking about competition, I want it to be known that there's a lot of good lessons involved with, with athletics, with competition. There are a lot of less, lifelong lessons that can be learned that I think are important that, that I would stress to children that are growing up that they participate in some form of competition. I mean, look at it from a standpoint of self-discipline. I mean, if you really want to do well and, and be successful, you're going to have to get up earlier than, than your competition and work harder than your competition, stay later than your competition. If you want to be able to drill and train and do whatever it is that you want to be good at, be successful at. And those are great things that you can learn Good hard work, teamwork, humility, a lot of things that come from the effort of competing, right? I, what, about a month ago, I got to witness Jesse competing in his first tournament in jiu-jitsu. And, and it was great to see that, that effort that he made in, in working out and practicing and, and de de developing an art, if you will, and then using that in a, in a real way, in a competitive way. So there's a lot of things that you can learn from it. And so competition can bring out the very best in us, but competition can also bring out the worst in us, right? I think it was our first or second year here. Mind you, still a little bit competitive. We were at um, the Harrisons, Tom and May's house, for their annual potluck that they had at their house. And I remember us having a kickball game. I wanted to win so bad. I don't even remember, though, if our team won or lost. What I remember was when it was my time to kick the ball, 
I wanted to kick it so that it went around the earth. <laughs> that was in my head. I kicked that thing so hard, I ended up doing a good job kicking the ball. I pulled my hamstring muscle. <laughs> That's the competitive side of us. And therein lies the double-edged sword. What is good for you can also be the end of you. And that's the things that we can look at when we're talking about competition. Because the very thing that, that would be helpful in, in some ways can harm us from an arrogant standpoint, superiority standpoint, things that I'm getting ahead of myself with. But so from that standpoint, whoever wants last place, right? You ever play a game, kids, that you want to lose the game? Never. You always try to beat the game, right? And there are no, well, I shouldn't say there are no ribbons for last place because there is one right there. And there are others that people will do. But for those that actually have last place things, they're like teasers or you know, make fun of the last place person. I mean, I, fantasy football, you might have an award of being the, the, the worst fantasy football player. So you've got that mindset. But from a serious standpoint, no one ever wants to get that last place trophy the participation award, not from a competitive standpoint. Now, mind you, I understand where, our, where we are as a culture, but we get the idea, no, who, who wants to be last, right? So, that's it. Was it last week? Has it already been, been a week ago? A week ago tomorrow, was that when the championship was? So, Crimson Tide wins their national title. You got a nice freshman from Hawaii, Little plug, right? Tua Taigo Viola, Viloa, yeah, Viloa. Uh, Tua, great, great freshman quarterback, right, from St. Louis High in, on Oahu. And here is someone who has worked very hard from the time he was a young, young boy. I mean, eight years old, throwing footballs with high school footballers at football camp. So amazing effort being stressed and, and being employed from this athlete here. And we can see that the desire to be successful takes place with a lot of work. And if you're going to be victorious, if you're going to stand out, head and shoulders above everyone else, you've got to put the time in. It is with this mindset, however, that many, including in the first century, had for what looks to be the picture of success. Right? You're not going to have someone that comes in lazy, that doesn't put in the time, doesn't put in the energy, the effort mentally and physically to be successful. That's just a human desire for those that want to be the best. These are the quality. These are the traits. And in fact, not only that, when you taste victory, and where's Carrie Lynn? Where is she? There you are. Carrie Lynn loves to play cards. And she loves winning. She despises despises losing i don't care if she's just learning it for the first time right carolyn just loves to win well once you taste victory it's like an animal that tastes blood for the first time you really like it well some people really get addicted to winning and she's one of them I, she gets it from her mom's side of the family <laughs> and so with that said you know when when you have a taste of victory you want to taste it again and so what this does is it fulfills these human desires for success. These are natural desires that mankind has. Now, not every person has this 
um, level of desire. Some people, they don't care if they win or lose. Some people just enjoy the enjoyment of the game. And, and if, you, if you win, good for you. If you lose, oh, I hope you feel better. You know, others, they don't care whether they win or lose. But for those that have that competitive spirit, you desire it more. It's like these Proverbs that we've been reading in Ecclesiastes where when you taste um, financial success, that greed is not satiated for many. They want more. And there's a lot of Proverbs along those lines. And so the same thing is true for those that have this kind of a competitive spirit. They want to further feed that desire for victory or for success. The problem is that oftentimes you have a superior complex. It's not good. There's an arrogance with those that, that succeed. Now, mind you, there are individuals that can have humility and what have you, and that's what competition should bring about because there's always someone better, right? Until you get to be one of those that are at the very, very top of whatever you're doing, and then somehow because of that, you think you're so much better a person than someone else. And that's the downside. That's the flesh coming out and breeding its ugly, sinful, fleshly ways. And so what can be a good thing has that double-edged sword that we can see in life. And so therein lies what we're talking about when we're looking at scriptures and when we're talking about this, this picture of pursuing last. It's upside-down thinking, but it is biblical. I'm going to see how in just a second here. I want you to, to note that as Ben was reading in Luke chapter 13 for us, that Jesus was teaching, he says, I want you to go through that narrow way. And at the end, when he says, here's how you get through the narrow way, because there's many pressing into it, right? He says, there are going to be some who are last, they'll be first. And those who are first, some of them are going to be last. And he wants us to get a picture of what this life of following Jesus looks like if, in fact, we're going to be able to eat and dine with him, if you will, if you have fellowship with Jesus. And that's a picture that is upside down to this world. So notice this passage in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to see when Jesus looks at victory, how he looks at it, from what vantage point he looks at it. And again, as we look at this upside down mindset from a worldly standpoint, we get to see it right side up when we have the proper perspective in Christ. So in Mark chapter 2, I want you to go there. I want you to look at the text and see who Jesus sought. And it'll make sense. And it'll make sense with the songs that we've been singing um, this morning and the messages from those songs in light of the passages that we're reading. So Mark chapter 2 in verse 16, here's what Jesus said. In fact, backing up to verse 13. It says, Then he, that is Jesus, went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so he rose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many, and they followed him. In fact, in Luke's account, Levi, or Matthew, invites Jesus along with all his tax collecting and quote-unquote sinner friends. 
And Jesus goes, having been invited. It says in verse 16 of Mark 2, When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And in true parable form, he gives them the answer. He gives them the the real message of what he's saying. He says to them, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's who I came to call. When, When Jesus sought to seek and save the lost, he was looking at those that had a mindset that understood that they were sinners. And can you imagine then, as these Pharisees and the scribes and others that that would fit into their category of people, that they themselves would not look at themselves as sinners, but as righteous. Those that have a good standing already with God. Those who have no need, if you will, of salvation. And Jesus said, I didn't come to call you. I came to call these tax collectors and these sinners because they know where they're at. That's who I came to be with. So strong is this theme of who Jesus sat, um, sought that you'll see him with them often. You see, you have those that were lame, blind, deaf, individuals that were infirmed in various physical ways. And, of course, every one of them knew it, right? I mean, if you're blind, you know you're blind. And they sought Jesus because they wanted to be healed by him. And Jesus sought them out in many ways as well. And he healed them one by one, all of them. This is a huge upside-down thinking for many. You see, for those of us that are in our um, wisdom studies that we're in, and we're going to get into the book of Job... The mindset that that Job had, the mindset even his friends had was that, listen, only bad things happen to people who have sinned against God. You cannot be um, sinless and have these calamities against you or these things happen against me. I have an unjust God. That's the mindset of many. It's a deed or wages mentality. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, everyone's sick. But not everyone knows they're sick. And so when they were asking, why does he hang around these sinners and tax collectors? Well, because he was seeking and saving the lost. But what they had in their mind was, he's hanging around with sinners. He's hanging around with, if I can use this vernacular for our sermon, losers. And that's who Jesus meant to hang around with, to be around, because he wanted to save them from their sins. And so very, very clearly, Jesus sought those who are sinners. Now, if we go on to another passage, not only did Jesus seek these individuals, Jesus lived in this manner. That's why um, Phil has led us in the song about being workers in the kingdom and having humility. It's because there was a mindset that not only am I seeking these kind of people, I'm actually living as if I'm last. I think a few years ago, there was some kind of a, 
I don't know, the program or whatever. It's I Am Second. I think that's the name of the organization. And it has this mentality to it. But Jesus went all the way to the other extreme. Not second, but last. Putting myself not ahead of others, but behind others. Having others above them, above his own station, if you will. Even though here he is, the son of God who comes from heaven. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 10, going on with this theme that Mark has, he makes it very clear that he himself, Jesus, is last. In Mark chapter 10, in verses 35 following, read with me, because here is Jesus who is being sought by James and John. In fact, in other gospel accounts, it's his, their mother that goes to seek Jesus' affirmation that her sons would sit at either his right or left hand, or left side, if you will. And so that's the concept here, right? Being the best, sitting at the best place, being in the most prominent location, the most powerful position. Because always, number one, is what's important. Jesus teaches otherwise. And in fact, John, or excuse me, Mark, in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, gives this event in the life of Jesus with his disciples this way. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Interesting. The students basically in demanding fashion, wanting whatever we ask, we want you to do for us. He said, well, what do you want me to do for you? True form of Jesus as a servant. And they said to, to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Oh, so there are going to be those sitting at his side. Well, what is Jesus getting at? Here's what he wanted them to understand. And so when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John because, of course... They want to sit at his right hand or his left. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them in verse 42, You know that those who considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is absolutely upside down thinking. Really is. You're talking about those who would be masters going, I would never be a servant. But can you imagine the servants going, that's what we do. That's all our life is just nothing but serving. I could hear, I could actually envision hope for servants hearing these messages while masters being infuriated listening to this message. Yet Jesus said, I, who you call master, I did not come 
to, to be served. I came to serve. You want to sit by my right and my left? You're going to be servants too then. You want to be great in the kingdom? You're going to have to be least. This is hard for anyone with a superiority complex. Even in today. It's easy for us and when we're in 